0: diplomats and human rights groups describe a climate of fear in which those who oppose the coup are forced to remain silent.
1: You're listening to the news on RTHK. Good morning. Three minutes after eight o'clock. Welcome to Money for Nothing here on Radio 3. I'm Brian Curtis. GE wins the Alstom energy bid. The China Beige Book indicates a deepening slowdown in the mainland economy and oil rises on concerns about Iraq. Those stories coming up in just a few minutes here on the program, as well as commentary from 40,000 feet on where interest rates might be going. At some point, there's going to be a binary decision that the Fed is going to have to make, and they're going to have to articulate that to the market. She's not prepared to do that yet. But that is a tail risk that I think is probably a little larger than the market currently anticipates. That's Aaron Kennan from Clear Harbor, and he says that inflection point is coming. At the moment, of course, interest rates are at rock-bottom lows.
2: Get used to it. Even in the rate hike cycle, it's not going to be your father or grandfather's rate hike cycle. It's going to a lower destination. Look at the ECB. They're nowhere near a hike. They've got negative rates. I was just in Japan. They're going to do QE as far as the eye can see. And so we're in a world of globally easy monetary policy, and that's part of the policy is to keep investors in risk assets.
1: Rich Clarida from PIMCO there explaining the uh, so-called new neutral that they're pushing, that rates are going to stay low for a long time. And even when they go up, they're not going to go up uh, to as high as before. Uh, we'll get a look at markets here in, uh, in just a moment. Uh, looking at Asia, the markets have been uh, slightly higher this morning, mostly green numbers on the screens. Our guests on the program this morning are Peter Lewis of Peter Lewis Consulting, Barry Wood, our international economics correspondent, and Paul Schulte of Schulte research. In fact, with uh, Paul, we'll be taking a close look at Japan. Comment there from Rich Clarida about uh, interest rates being so low there. Well, at the top of the news this morning, GE has surpassed the final obstacle in its bid to buy assets from Alstom of France. The hurdle was cleared when Bouygues agreed to sell a stake to the French government. The $17 billion buyout uh, is the biggest ever for General Electric. Bouygues will sell as much as 20 percent of Alstom to the state. GE Chief Executive Officer Jeff Immelt won out over a bid by Siemens. Well, here at home, the financial secretary, John Zhang, Zhang, has criticized some legislators for delaying a vote on the initial funding for two towns in the new territories. RTHK's Timmy Song reports.
0: Writing on his blog, Mr. Zhang said a backlog of around 50 funding applications had now built up. He said although there appears to be a point to adjourn the funding application and deal with other requests first, he questioned if the government should postpone projects every time there's opposition to them. The financial secretary said it's difficult for all government policies to receive the backing of 7 million people of Hong Kong, and politicians need to have the courage to make hard choices when presented with imperfect options. The development chief, Po Chan, also rose on his blog, insisting a villagers' demand for no demolition and no clearance was not possible. He rejected claims that most of the land in the development zone were earmarked for luxury homes, saying the accusations were distorted and misleading.
1: Timmy Song reporting. Asian markets are higher this morning. In Australia, the ASX 200 up seven points. Uh, that's about uh, 15 one hundredths of a point. So up at 54.08 for the ASX 200. In, in Seoul, the KOSPI is up six points at 1974 and the Japanese market is higher. I don't have the cash read for you just at this moment, but futures had been up 50 points uh, throughout the morning. Well, the China Beige Book says that China's economic slowdown has deepened this quarter. It says capital spending is showing weakness and fewer companies are applying for credit. Half of the businesses reported higher investment, but that was the smallest proportion and the sharpest drop since the survey began 10 quarters ago. The report adds clarity to a picture of slowing growth. In the United States, jobs are being created. Car sales are strong and the stock market is booming. Well, it's at... Record highs, but all isn't well. Americans are spending less than they used to, and businesses have been investing below their historical norm. It's a new period, says PIMCO.
2: It's a new neutral, and it means that we're no longer recovering from a crisis. The global economy is converging to trend rates of growth. That'll be somewhat slower than in the old normal, but at least growing. But in order to keep this going, especially with this overhang of global leverage in 2014, we think central banks are going to be aiming for a lower neutral long-run
1: policy rate, and that will serve to
2: stabilize
1: the system. How long? Well, he says about three to five years. uh, You can expect this kind of period where rates, uh, even when they do go up, they just don't go up all that high. Back to Mr. Kennan, who we heard from earlier uh, from Clear Harbor. He mostly agrees with that thesis, but he says a big question is looming. To what extent quantitative easing and generally global monetary policy over the last several years is truly impacting corporate demand and earnings growth. And so, you know, it's an overwhelming question that only after we return to a conventional monetary policy will we, will we know the answer to. And he highlights a big concern tied to low volatility. We also think that there is a level of complacency in the market that we're concerned about, that we need to be cautious about. If you take a look at, uh, for example, the S&P 500, we haven't had a correction in in over two and a half years. So it's something that we're monitoring very closely. Again, uh, that is Mr. Kennan from... Clear Harbor Asset Management. Well, investors will get another look this week at whether the trends in the United States are changing, whether consumer spending is picking up, whether business investment took a turn for the good in May. Most economists say that there has definitely been a big pickup from the first quarter, but the pickup will be fairly modest. Oil prices are higher this morning. Iraqi insurgents seizing territory along the nation's borders. Brent crude now $115 even. That's up about 20 cents. Our first guest this morning is Barry Wood, our international economics correspondent. Barry, good day to you. Good morning. So that's kind of the background. Uh, You know, you've got a lot of people scratching their heads about uh, uh, corporate earnings being fairly solid, the economy not really growing very fast, uh, and what to do with investments with, uh, you know, returns so low with interest rates at zero. Um, So lots to talk about this morning as we look forward this week. What's what's, uh, on your mind the most?
2: Well, I think we've got some housing data this week uh, that should uh, show at least modest improvement in housing. You know, you've got to have housing uh, come along and join autos if we're really going to boost this recovery in the way that Janet Yellen thinks. I think that's what I've got my eye on. It's not a particularly busy week. We get a GDP uh, revision for the first quarter. We know that's going to be a bad number, but uh, let's see what the housing sector's doing. With
1: oil prices moving at this pace, uh, when will that have a major impact on the U.S. economy?
2: Well, now that's a big question mark, and that uh, is troublesome. If, uh, in fact, the uh, oil price continues to go up, we're going to see higher gasoline prices, and that would restrain the U.S. economy. So far, gas prices are what a two-year high. But that is something that we've been able to accommodate. It hasn't been, uh, it hasn't been a, a sudden shift in prices. It's been gradual. So I don't think as yet we're seeing any slowdown in consumer activity because of higher gas prices. But it's worrisome given all the situation that we talked about last week in Iraq.
1: You know, last year, the story really was that housing was recovering. And particularly in the second half of the year, you saw interest rates uh, uh, fairly, um, you know, they had been very low, and then they started to move up. And that shut down the rebound in housing. Um, you say that it'll look good this week, but I, I think that most signs are that it's gone through a very difficult period here in the last six months that really, um, you know, people are, are preferring to rent, they just don't want to shell out all that money. And, you know, it was private investors and private equity that bought up a lot of it. So I'm just wondering whether, you know, the oil price going higher will have the same effect that the interest rates going higher had on the housing market.
2: Well, it certainly could, Brian, but uh, let's face it, uh, the banks are making it hard for a lot of people who would like to buy homes to get a mortgage. Okay, you know, it is, it, Rates are low, but they have crept up in the last three months. And it is particularly difficult to get a loan. So you're in that camp that –
1: so let me just uh, uh, query you on that. You're in the camp that says that it's mainly the regulation that is impeding it, that it's the banks being very um, reluctant to make loans rather than a lack of demand that has slowed the housing market.
2: That's correct. That's where I'm at. This is, uh, this is something that is an anomaly in this kind of recovery, particularly when you're this many years after the uh, recovery has supposedly begun. Housing has always led the way down and led the way up, and it certainly hasn't led the way up this time.
1: Let's bring in Peter Lewis of Peter Lewis Consulting to join the discussion. Stay with us, Barry, and later we'll bring in uh, Paul Schulte, the CEO and chairman of Schulte Research. Uh, Peter, good morning. Good morning, Brian. I always feel like I'm shouting when I'm talking to Barry because he's, he's uh, way on the other side so of the world. So You're sitting like three feet away from me. so <laughs> It's always nice to be able to lower the uh, intensity a little bit. Um, so among the things I wanted to talk to you about was uh, this this kind of um, crazy situation we're in where we don't see a lot of demand we don't see a lot of business investment we don't see a lot of aggressive spending people are wondering why you're in the sound money camp are you in the camp that says QE
0: hasn't worked or that it has well i mean we were talking about housing i mean housing is is a good example in the us of what's the divergence that's gone on in the economy overall if you look at the over the first 4 months of the year the sales of the 1% of the most expensive homes in the us are up 21% but sales of the other 99% of the homes are down almost 8%. So overall, um, volumes of home sales have risen, but most people haven't participated in that. And that's a sort of divergence that we've seen across so, so, a lot of the U.S. economy. So
1: do you believe that, that American growth and European growth um, are, are slow, if at all? And that's one of the reasons why Hong Kong and China and many of the emerging markets are struggling.
0: Yeah, I, I think, you know, if you look particularly within sort of, if you like, the middle class within the US, earnings growth isn't, um, wages growth just isn't there. So, you know, the spending power of most consumers is still depressed. So you're, you're seeing, you know, a, a recovery that is very, very uneven and, and a recovery that really, when you look so far away from the, the last recession, is still nothing like um, at the, at the sort of levels that you would normally expect, you know, five, five years after the after the Financial crisis and the only game in town, the only reason why um, you know markets though are, are going to all-time highs is because of the Fed. Um, you know, the Fed is going to, as long as it carries on with this very easy monetary policy where interest rates are almost rock bottom, it's driving all sort of risk premiums out of the market. We're seeing volatilities at record lows. We're seeing risk-taking activities at you know uh, becoming more and more enhanced in that type of environment.
1: Barry, one of those comments that I played there uh, by. Uh Um, You know, the guests from Bloomberg, uh, they were worried about complacency, worried about the low volatility and the low volumes. Is that normal in your view in that there are still a lot of risks out there and people don't feel comfortable uh, doing what the Fed is telling you to do, which is to buy riskier assets?
2: Well, I think that's true. I think uh, (laughs) people are – they don't have the spending power. And uh, there is the awareness that something could go pretty badly off track,
1: but haven 't we emerged uh, from the crisis?
2: I don't think so. This is the new normal i I, I think this is exactly what uh, Bill Gross and mohammed El Aryan had in mind when they first spoke about it about three and a half years ago uh, this is This is very slow growth in a deleveraging economy. The consumer has probably deleveraged more. But uh, there there isn't the spending power, as was just said, and I think that uh, there is a lot of uncertainty, and as a result, we've got very low growth.
1: Can you see any catalyst out there to change that? No, I don't. I wish I could. Go ahead.
2: I don't. I don't see a a catalyst for a real pickup here. I think that uh, you've still got a perception politically that Barack Obama is anti-business. And, you know, there's a lot of uh, regulation that has come into the economy. There's concern, I think, in uh, CEO circles that the president is doing so much in terms of just executive order. There's uncertainty about the health care, you know, these kinds of things. And there's also worry about whether the Tea Party is going to lead to a Republican takeover. You know, the business community is solidly in the middle. They're not on the side of the Tea Party.
1: The defeat of Eric Cantor and, and now uh, seeing Mr. McCarthy uh, being uh, voted in as the, the, the uh, incoming uh, majority leader, does that, uh, does that um, hold a lot of portent in your view? I mean, will it mean that a lot of candidates uh, will be very unlikely or a lot of um, politicians will be unlikely to compromise in the future because they worry what happened to Cantor can happen to them?
2: Well, I think that's what's going to play out in the next two or three months as we go through the primary season leading up to the general election, the off-year election in uh, November. And there is worry, and I think that um, th- this was an object lesson for the Republicans. Uh, that if, if, I mean, after all, Eric Cantor was not exactly a liberal figure, and yet he was seen by people in that district not too far from Washington, D.C., as favoring amnesty for all the immigrants. So, you know, we're not going to see any immigration legislation for a while, and I think the president goes on his back foot because he's been pressing that so hard.
1: So the polarity that we saw in the past um, is going to get even worse.
2: I think so, Brian. I think that's the case, and I don't think it's going to change. I think if the Republicans, as current forecasts suggest, if they do take over the Senate as well as the House, then uh, that probably toughens the Republican line in opposition to the president. So. I'm afraid there, there aren't very many hopeful signs on the horizon that translate into economic optimism. I don't see it.
1: Okay, Barry. Well, uh, we'll let you go this week. Thanks very much for joining us and uh, talk again next Monday morning. Barry Wood, our international economics correspondent, on the line from Washington. And we still have with us in our studios Peter Lewis of Peter Lewis Consulting. Uh, Peter, there's been a, a little bit of concern here of late, um, um, as evidenced by the big rise in gold last week. Gold mm-hmm. jumped $50 an ounce in, in one day. And I have actually seen some uh, people tie that to this funding crisis, uh, the commodities linked funding crisis that we see uh, in in China. Now, it's a scandal at the moment, not a crisis, I suppose. But um, let, let's talk a little bit about why
0: did gold pop last week? Well, the, the, one of the ways in which the shadow banking system in China raises money, um, and in particular gets US dollars on shore, I mean, there's a big Difference between rates on RMB and rates on US dollars. So the idea is, a lot of arbitragers, a lot of companies want to bring US dollars into China, and one of the ways they do this is through fairly complex commodity financing deals. But in effect, what they do is they get letters of credits from Chinese banks, use them to buy copper. That copper is then sold on or the rights to that copper and US dollars are then transferred um, onshore. And these these commodities, it's done with aluminium, it's done with, uh, it's done with copper, it's done with gold, are held in bonded warehouses and are supposed to be the collateral for these loans. So and this it, is called a hypothecation.
1: You have it, exactly. a pile of copper and you can borrow against it. You use it as collateral to borrow. Yep. And then if you rehypothecate, then that means that um, people uh, who it's been pledged to, like the banks, would then actually use that as a collateral for, um, for themselves maybe borrowing money or moving money around. Yep. So when there's a break
0: in that chain – it gets scary. Yeah, and what has happened is that this has been rehypothecated several times over. Mm. So the, the fact is, the same collateral It sounds has been like used a subprime as, mess. Yeah, it's like remortgaging your house several times with different banks, but using the same house to, you know, to get the loan. So what has happened is that in Qingdao, which is China's third largest port, and where there are these bonded warehouses, um, a lot of the copper and aluminium appears to have gone missing. And, and it may be that it has been rehypothecated or wasn't even there in the first place but something like 20,000 tons of copper, 80,000 tons of aluminium have, have gone missing. And, and it's estimated that maybe about a million tons of copper are used in these types of um, sort of financing deals. So what's happening is that the banks that have um, made these loans, sent out the letters of credit, are in effect calling in their loans to try and find out if their collateral sort of actually exists. So what happens is that these deals then start to get unwound. So in the cases of the physical market, um, you know, Know, copper aluminium gets sold into the market and depresses the price in gold it actually works the other way around because gold is driven by the futures markets rather and than so the it's, physical. Pa- it's a sort of paper gold it's a paper market and so yes. it has
1: just the opposite <clears throat> effect in a yeah sense.
0: people buy the futures yeah. and, and you know the futures are in effect what drives the underlying do you think this is a big um, reason sort of that gold popped
1: last week or was it more janet yellen's comments about not fearing inflation
0: i think there's a combination of both i mean a lot of hedge funds quickly covered shorts um, sort of like Last week. I think if you look what Janet Yellen said, what I have to say is one of the most extraordinary fed. Press conferences I've ever heard. She basically said, you know, inflation—it's just noise. <laughs> you know, yeah. we don't—we don't have to worry about that. And you know, she also basically said that, you know, she didn't see any increase in leverage. She didn't see a rapid increase in credit growth. Um, she saw, you know, very little evidence of people really sort of going for yield, even though the evidence is all against that at the moment. If you look what people are doing in the markets, they're doing exactly that. I mean, junk bond yields are now at their lowest in history—five and a quarter percent. Volatility is. Had its uh, you know its its second lowest monthly close in history. Yeah, and so- she commented
1: on the stock market, which Fed chairs don't usually do.
0: Yeah, and, and she basically said there was really no evidence of a, a bubble that it really was overvalued. In the, in but isn't she right? I mean, it's at sixteen and a half times
1: earnings. Uh, should you really be worried about you know um, it's almost it's almost at the
0: historical norm but if if you look at how the eps growth is coming at the moment i mean real profits uh, for q1 in the us were down 16% after tax profits but the eps is up because of the massive amounts of share buybacks that are going on almost a record amount but this of course doesn't add anything to profit growth it doesn't increase any sort of returns to shareholders but it makes that all important eps number look better for the markets and makes it look like you're beating the uh, you know the estimates so market. as you buy back stock just to explain to people uh, you're actually taking stock out
1: yeah. therefore the the uh, price to earnings changes a little bit because the earnings per out, you know outstanding uh uh stock held uh, look a lot better so you know you keep yep. PE, pe levels uh, down but can they continue to do that uh, and I want to just bring in Paul in a moment. So in 30 seconds, can they continue to do that? Or do you think that that sort of run its course? I
0: think it's going to run its course because now, on average, companies have spent 93% of their earnings on buybacks and dividends. So that, that alone tells you So they're you not investing in a- new plant. They're not paying no. their people more. No. And they're not hiring new people. They're using the money to buy back stock. Buy back shareholders. And in, in some sectors, if you look at the materials sector, they've spent almost 200% of their free cash flows on, on share repo. Purchases in the last 12 months. That that's unsustainable. So you can't keep driving your EP, EPS number forever by share purchase. Okay. So you're
1: you're you're nervous. You're very nervous about the whole complex. Let's say good morning to Paul Schulte, CEO and Chairman Schulte Research. Hi, Paul. Hi. Good morning. Are you nervous as well on the overall picture? You know, is, does it keep you up at night?
3: Well, I think that the the one issue that I think is uh, is problematic is oil, and that is problematic for places like Japan. It's problematic for places like uh, India, and you know, generally, you know, I think it's 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 slightly you know unnerving for most of the West. Uh, number two. We have a very profound problem with inflation, not because of bank capital. I just don't agree that bank capital is the problem. I don't agree that regulate regulatory issues are the problem. The revolution in front of our eyes that's occurring is this internet, you know, server revolution, which is allowing internet companies like Amazon, eBay, Alibaba, uh, Tencent Tencent, and other companies like that. To create circumstances where they can keep on driving down the prices of everything that, that humans buy around the world, that billions of people buy every day. And these you know bots, these algorithms of these extremely powerful companies are hugely deflationary uh, for the global economy. Uh, that's number one.
1: Uh, number two – And 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 just as part of that, uh, is their involvement in financial uh, intermediation also uh, central to that? Does
3: that? Yeah, we've done a lot of work on this over the last you know many months. Uh, Absolutely, I just came came back from a global you know research trip talking about Alibaba, and I think people really get it that not only is this problematic for prices, it's very problematic for labor. Uh, and it's also very problematic for banks because the marginal new customer has got nothing to do with the bank branch. The marginal new customer of a bank is on the phone. And most of the banks don't have the DNA to be able to do that. And so all these companies are coming along and eating the lunch of the banks. So don't buy bank shares for sure. I think this is problematic. I think that's absolutely right. Yes, sir. I think that uh, – and not only that, but th- uh, this is year seven of the recovery, the so-called recovery – And the return on capital for almost every one of the Western banks
1: in Europe and the U.K., is at 1% or below. So you're not particularly worried about deflation from the standpoint of no demand, but just from a structural change in the whole, the way the whole system works. Whenever we have a downturn, the the cost of capital
3: collapses down to zero because of central bank activity and labor does not adjust. So what do we all do as humans? We go in with capital and we take over labor because there's no adjustment in wages. This is natural and especially, and and, and it's especially painful because most of these technological revolutions happen during financial crises for exactly the reason I point out. And so this is why we're seeing this stealth, you know, um, this remarkable stealth uh, activity uh, which affects the banks, which is affecting um, you know, shipping, which is affecting uh, transportation with 3D printing. Thri- the 3D printing revolution is happening in front of our eyes. So we have a bank issue. We have a 3D issue. We have an Amazon, Alibaba issue. And we have a human labor issue where more and more human labor is being replaced by technology. So, this is profoundly deflationary.
1: Everything is being disrupted. We sometimes think of disruption as good because it seems seems like progress. It seems like uh, productivity. But when it leads to nobody being able to get a job, then we've got a problem. Indeed. Yeah. That, that was Janet Yellen's comment on Thursday, I think. <laughs> well, I think that's, shut I think my that's, mouth. <laughs> I, I think that's exactly the issue. I think that's it. Well, Peter, I mean, that that's a scary picture. Um, are we overreacting? Is it more cyclical than secular? Or is Paul right? Is this a, a big game changer? It's,
0: it's, we're not going back. I think there have been some very, very fundamental changes in the way in which the global economy works, um, the, the way in which um, you know employment and wages work. I mean, Alibaba, you, we, we mentioned Alibaba. Every time there is competition to Alibaba, they drive the price down even lower. And, and Alibaba is 2% of China's uh, sort of GDP. So it has an enormous, an, enormous impact. But, on, but don't you know, they, at some
1: point, Paul, have to, uh, like, if you look at Amazon, um, they just spend, spend, spend. They keep prices low. If they ever try to raise prices, they won't be successful, right? So at some point, won't those companies run out of gas? In about 20 years, yeah. Um, So that's the point I want to make
3: to everybody. Get close to the server. (laughs) Get close to Amazon and Alibaba in any way that you can, because they have algorithmic uh, programs that are... Astonishingly powerful, and they copy and they understand and they replicate and they learn about what we do and they then do it themselves.
0: Mm. So, Peter, how do you play that? Well, I, I think you know at the moment. I mean, if, if you look at it from a market perspective, as long as you know the Fed is going to keep interest rates at you know rock bottom levels, and um, as long as you know the, the hedge funds and the algorithmic traders can you know can borrow and arbitrage um, the, the, these types of rates, it, it's hard to see you know the the market sort of topping out. At some point, this is going to change. There's going to be a shock of some sort. Maybe it'll be an oil price shock. Maybe it'll be a, a China GDP shock, which suddenly will drive volatility. Higher, and then everyone will be trying to cover all of these trades and get out of them at the same time, and that's when you're going to see the big sort of turn in the markets. A black swan event, Paul, is there one coming? Um,
3: I think we are in. We've been living a black swan event for the last six years. I think we need to get close to the server. We need to get close to these companies who command tremendous power. In pricing and in uh, their ability so, to it, create so, profitability. So is that
1: a stock call? Then you're saying people Alibaba, should Alibaba. I think Alibaba, buy is Alibaba, most, buy Alibaba, 10 is,
3: Alibaba is one of the most important stocks in the world. Baidu as well.
1: Amazon uh, as well.
3: Uh, Amazon, Google, and Alibaba will vie in five years for the
1: largest company in the world by market cap. And Facebook. Facebook, less so. Okay. All right. We're out of time. Uh, interesting discussion. Uh, as usual, I want to have you guys on. Uh, so thanks very much. Paul Schulte from uh, Schulte Research and Peter Lewis of his own firm as well, Peter Lewis Consulting. Markets are higher this morning. Uh, big day of gains, it looks like. Uh, the Nikkei up 80 points. In Australia, we're up 24 and the Kospi and Seoul up 5 points. So looks uh, like equity prices at least are moving higher. Brent Crude, $115.04 a barrel. The weather today I'm expecting a little bit more of the same. Showery conditions in the next day or two, mainly cloudy skies with showers and some thunderstorms, a maximum temperature of 30 degrees. Thanks for joining us on Money for Nothing here on Radio 3. Back chat coming up next, but the news will be in between. Let's get a news update at 8.32. Here's Samantha Butler. Over 700,000 people have now voted in an unofficial referendum on political reform. Electronic voting opened on Friday and yesterday 15 polling stations were set up across the territory for the day. People are being asked to choose from three proposals of electing the chief executive by public nomination. Beijing has dismissed the poll as a farce while the SAR government says it has no legal basis. The organiser, Occupy Central, has urged the government not to ignore people's demands for genuine universal suffrage. However, Speaking to RTHK this morning, China specialist Mark O'Neill says he fears a confrontation is on the horizon.